Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we get to hear from Dr. Ligon Duncan on the topic of systematic theology. Studying systematic theology is what really sparked my own interest in pursuing deeper theological study, and I really think this conversation with Dr. Duncan is going to do the same for you. So you know him a little better, Dr. J. Ligon Duncan III is the Chancellor and CEO of Reformed Theological Seminary and the John E. Richards Professor of Systematic and Historical Theology. Dr. Duncan has done a lot, so you can check out his full bio in the show notes, But you need to know that in addition to editing, writing, and contributing to numerous books and being involved in various facets of ministry, he and his wife, Anne, reside in Jackson, Mississippi, and have two adult children. Dr. Duncan, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm delighted to be here with you today. It has been such a joy to learn from you at a distance. Personally, there are so many avenues through which people can go and get to know you. But I want to highlight one that I found particularly helpful. Your interview with Nancy Guthrie Mm. on Help Me Teach the Bible. You talked about covenantal and dispensational theology Mm. was one that I revisited at least three times and took notes. But I find that to be true with many of the things that I've had the opportunity to experience from you online. You do so many things. You're the chance Chancellor and CEO of RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary. You have a family, a wife, and two adult children. You have founded so many helpful things like Together for the Gospel and all of these different things, Dr. Duncan. It would take us the entire hour for me to go through your bio. So who are you? What do you do? What would you like to tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself? Well, I grew up in a wonderful Christian home in Greenville, South Carolina. My mother was the choir director at the church, and so we were the last people to leave every Sunday. My dad was a ruling elder. Uh, My mother was a university professor and my dad was a printer and a publisher. And so they were wonderful, godly parents that were very loving. And, And my mom was the theologian of my life. Mom was theologically trained. She graduated from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in the 1950s in church music and then taught at Furman University for many years. And she was a voracious reader And she was the person when I wanted to talk theology that I would go to. To this day, she listens to my talk. She edits books. She she's a wonderful, wonderful conversation partner. She's I think she's 87 this year. Wow. So I grew up in Greenville. I went to seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, then went to University of Edinburgh in Scotland and studied and then came back to Jackson, Mississippi, to teach at Reformed Theological Seminary here in Jackson. And I've been here ever since. Now, I hadn't taught here the whole time. I was full-time as a pastor for 17 years during that time and teaching part-time here. And I met my wife here. My wife is from South Carolina, but we met at the seminary. She was doing a second master's degree. She had studied at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, kind of closer up to your neck of the woods in in South Hamilton, Massachusetts, and uh, then had worked in churches for a number of years in Trinity Church in Montgomery and First Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, okay. and came here to do a master's degree in counseling and marriage and family therapy, actually. Awesome. So I intercepted her then, and we got married and have a family and have been here in Jackson the whole time. 
Wow. Well, that is absolutely fantastic. Clearly, you are passionate about studying theology. That's why I wanted to have you on today. You know, it's becoming more and more common for women, I think, to want to really engage in deeper theological study, which I'm really excited about and hope to encourage the listeners to do as well as they listen through this series. Why is it, Dr. Duncan, that all Christians ought to study theology? Well, there are a lot of reasons for that. The most important reason is that God is the most important thing in the world. So the study of God is very, very important to living our lives. If God is more important than anything, then I want to know as much about God as I possibly can. Now, there are other reasons that Christians specifically would want to study theology. And and one is simply this. Think of it in John 14, when Jesus is trying to comfort the disciples. He's about to explain to them that he's going to be crucified, and he knows that's going to be hard on them. Isn't that wonderful that our Savior, with what he was facing, was concerned about the hearts of his disciples? And he says, you'll remember in John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, he gives them a reason why they shouldn't let their hearts be troubled. What is it? Believe in God, believe also in me. So notice, Jesus says, the cure for a troubled heart is believing in God and believing in Jesus. And that means knowing things about God and knowing things about Jesus and believing and trusting them. So for a Christian, our comfort is tied up in knowing theology. Why wouldn't you want to know that if your comfort is tied up in knowing theology? So I could could give you a gazillion reasons from the Bible, but those are two to start with. God's more important than anything. And our comfort is tied up in knowing God. That is intensely practical. I think a lot of times people's pushback on studying theology is, well, I need something that I can, you know, apply to my life today because I yeah. need to, to do things differently. But how does actually studying theology help us to grow in maturity and godliness and to begin to apply the truths of Scripture to our everyday lives? Let me tell you a story from some dear friends of mine. I, in in the uh, 1992, I became an interim pastor at the, at a, you're not going believe the name of this town at the First Presbyterian Church of Yazoo City, Mississippi. There really is a place <laughs> called Yazoo City, Sounds Mississippi. Like a well, and Jerry Clower is from not far away from there. And actually some very famous people that people all over the United States would know are from Yazoo City. Huh. I used to joke that the world is run from Yazoo City. <laughs> at any rate, I was there as an interim pastor because the pastor had been killed in an, auto- an automobile accident. And that congregation had been studying the goodness of God. Hmm. And when his wife woke up in the hospital uh, and her husband was not there and her children Hmm. were not there, one child died in the accident. Her husband died in the accident. Hmm. Her other two children were taken to other hospitals. She was unconscious for a couple of days before they finally could wake her up and and tell her what had happened. Mm-hmm. And when they told her that her husband and her youngest child were dead, the first words out of Diane's mouth were, the Lord is good in all he does. Hmm. Now, that is theology, Hunter. You know, that, that's a person who's been thinking about the truth of the goodness of God in Scripture and saying almost like Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, Blessed be the name of the Lord. So theology is profoundly important for that in the Christian life, in the best of times and in the worst of times, knowing who God is, knowing what he's like, knowing what he's like towards us, knowing how he is for us in Christ, that permeates everything in life from the most tragic moments like the one that I just told you about. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that we're tempted to do in life is we're tempted to love other things in this world more than God. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing in this world better than God. And theology is meant to reinforce that by learning that truth from the Word and then seeing that truth worked out in experience. So it's a very practical endeavor to, Mm -hmm. to seek to study God and to study His Word and to study the truth about Him, and that's theology, and that's why it works out in the Christian life. You can't escape it. Everybody does theology. A lot of times, they just don't realize they're doing it. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the way I would answer your question. What would you say to somebody who thinks like, ah, I don't need to 
get bogged down with doctrine and theology, but I just need Jesus. Yeah. Well, and part of that is who's Jesus? What what do you mean, Jesus? Tell me about him. And the minute you say something about Jesus, you're already doing theology. So if somebody says, well, I mean, you know, Jesus, the Savior, and I go, ah, excellent beautiful theology with a rich tapestry of biblical background that comes from the Old Testament and the New Testament. The minute you say Jesus is Savior, the minute you say Jesus is Lord, the minute you say there is only one true God, you're already doing theology. So partly, I think it's that can stem from a kind of humility you know, Hunter, who says, oh, that, you know, that's for PhDs and, and people that study this professionally. I'm not smart enough to do that. Actually, people are a lot smarter than they give themselves credit for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know lay people with no degrees that know a lot more about God than PhDs that I know. And now they, they study hard. They're in the, their noses are in their Bibles and they're they're working hard to think through things. I mean, you you can't read John 1, 1 to 14 and just breeze through the concepts there. The words are, are little small words. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Those are small little words, but they are profound concepts that you can uh-huh. spend the rest of your life thinking about. But any any godly Christian can put their nose in the Bible and start thinking God's thoughts after him. And that's that's theology. So I partly I, I want people to think, no, no, this is not something for the professionals or the uh-huh. academics. There, there, there's a need for people that professionally study the Bible and that professionally teach the Bible, and even that teach it at a popular level. And I'm not saying that everybody has to do that, but everybody wants to know who God is, and everybody ought to want to know how it is to relate to that God. You know, the Bible is really about God and life with God. It's about God and godliness, and those are doctrines, you know. And so if, if you want to understand the Bible, you've got to understand theology. You've got to understand some doctrine. So that's one way I would answer it. Another thing would be to say is just look at how Jesus uses theology. Jesus will say, for instance, at the end of John 16, he's had these long conversations with these disciples in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed. At the end of John 16, before he prays the beautiful high priestly prayer of John 17, he says, these things I have said to you because in the world you have tribulation. But rejoice, I've overcome the world. In in the world, you have tribulation. In me, you have peace. And so that he's saying, the reason I've taught you these things is because I want you to have peace. So theology is meant to help us have peace in the midst of the turmoil of life. Paul says theology is for marriage. Think of Ephesians 5.25, where he mm-hmm. says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Mm -hmm. And what Paul's saying there is the atonement, the death of Christ, which of, of course is the foundation of our salvation, is also the model for how Christian husbands are to love their wives. Mm. So every time a a husband hears a sermon on the atoning work of Christ, he's actually getting some marching orders in terms of how he is to love his wife. That's Mm. very practical. We could go on and on how the Bible will deploy theology in practical ways for the Christian life. It's for peace. It's for joy. It's for marriage. It's for assurance of salvation. The the Bible deploys theology in many ways. Paul had a saying that truth is unto godliness. He repeats it in Timothy and in Titus. Mm -hmm. Truth Mm -hmm. is unto godliness. So, if you're a believer, you want to live a life of godliness, that is a life towards God, a life of fellowship with God, a life of walking with God. How do you do that? But that's what the truth is for. And that truth is doctrine or theology. Uh, doctrine just means teaching. Literally, it's the Latin word that means teaching. It's teaching mm-hmm. about God. So mm-hmm. that teaching about God is for what? Godliness. It's for, it's for life with God. So theology is the most practical thing you could ever study. 
Man, I love it. I'm curious about whether or not some listeners feel like I do, where you have a real passion for studying theology, and yet your life is really full. As I just told you, I have a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and an 18-month-old. And so I don't feel as though I have as many opportunities as I desire. And sometimes I find myself maybe even resenting opportunities to live out my theology because I so desperately want to be with my nose in my Bible like you talked about. What encouragement do you have for those of us who really desire to study theology, but who are fitting that into the fringe hours of what's going on in their everyday life. Well, I mean, Hunter, be patient with yourself. And for those who also are feeling with those things, be patient with yourselves because women have to wear multiple hats, no matter what they do. Okay. They yes. have to wear multiple hats. And it's it's fascinating. Even we we even in this secular society in which you have so many women that have their own separate careers from their husbands, even in those contexts, we find from sociological surveys, women end up, even if they're the primary breadwinner at home, they'll end up being the one that does the most in terms of household uh, activity. They'll be the ones that spend more time in investing in the children, in uh, childcare and rearing and things of that nature. So for women, especially Hunter, just be patient with yourself. All, All of us have seasons of life that are very, very demanding. And in those times, One thing that's really good to do is memorization, the memorization of scripture and hymns so that when you've got a child in your arms or you've got a sick child that you're taking care of, you can repeat things to yourself. I had a dear, dear godly friend in Yazoo City who went home to be with the Lord just in this last couple of weeks, and Mm. she loved hospitality. She loved having people in her house. She hated washing the dishes. Now, (laughs) she had a good husband that very often said, Amanda, you make these wonderful meals for everybody. I'll wash everything up. But Amanda really liked to do that for her family, especially when the kids were at home. And she had a little sign over her sink and it said, divine worship held here three times daily. Love it. And that was her way of just reminding herself, even in washing the dishes, I'm worshiping God. And theology is for doxology. Theology is for worship, you know? So by the way, she also had a hymnal behind a little piece of plexiglass at the sink, you know, so that water wouldn't splatter out on the hymnal and ruin it and blur the the words. And she would sit there looking at a hymn, memorizing a hymn while she was washing the dishes. That's a great way to do theology. If she were still alive, I would be sending Amanda a big pack of paper plates, but it sounds like that's <laughs> a really rich time. <laughs> Regardless. So today we want to talk about systematic theology, which is actually kind of the gateway where I came into deeper theological study. It was through systematic theology at a really wonderful church we were involved in outside of Fort Benning, Georgia. Could you tell us what is systematic theology? Systematic theology is the topical study of the content of Scripture with a view to summarizing the main categories of Bible teaching and relating them to one another. What we call the the discipline of biblical theology studies the Bible chronologically and historically as God's plan of redemption unfolds in history from Genesis to Exodus to Moses to David to the later prophets to Jesus in the New Testament and the Apostles. Biblical theology will study the Bible historically and thematically. Systematic theology studies the Bible topically, and it wants to relate those topics to one another and relate it to redemptive history so that we see the big picture on the major topics of Scripture. So, for instance, when somebody says to you, Hunter, what do you believe about Jesus? The only way you can answer that question is to do systematic theology. The Bible says a lot about Jesus. Right. So when you do that, you have to answer that question topically, and then you have to make sure that you're relating it to the other teaching of Scripture. That's systematic theology. Every time someone says to a pastor, Pastor, what does the Bible say about angels? When that pastor opens his mouth to respond, he's doing systematic theology. So all Christians, actually, anytime you take up a topic, you're having to do systematic theology, whether you realize it or not. Now, what what we want to make sure we're doing is that we're doing good systematic theology. And good systematic theology is faithful to the Bible, 
and it does a good job of relating topics to one another. It doesn't play them off against one another. You know, have you ever heard people say, I like to think of God as a God of love, not as a God of wrath? Well, the Bible says that God is a God of love and a God of wrath. So we don't play wrath over against love. Those are two doctrines about God that are friends. They're not enemies. But you do have to do a little work to figure out how those things go together. How could it be? that God can be a God of love mm-hmm. and a God of wrath. You got to do some work on that biblically to explain that. And that work is called systematic theology. Yes. Why is it helpful to engage in the study of systematic theology, maybe in contrast to something like biblical theology, like you mentioned? What I want everyone to do is to do both. Because, you know, it's looking at the same material from a slightly different vantage point, and you will you will pick things up that you would miss if you only did one or the other. So you and I were offline, we're talking about a friend of ours, Nancy Guthrie, who is amazing when it comes to doing biblical theology. That's her thing. But Nancy also is a very able systematic theological thinker, and she knows the importance of, for instance, you can't do good biblical theology and forget the doctrine of the Trinity. Well, the doctrine of the Trinity requires you to do good systematic theology. Hmm. So those things go together and they help you. And there's some questions, again, that biblical theology can't answer on its own. When you ask a question of systematic theology, you're asking, what does the whole Bible teach about X? Mm-hmm. Whereas in biblical theology, usually you're asking, how is this particular theme highlighted in the time and the writings of Moses. Now, how's it highlighted in the time and the writings of David? Now, how's it highlighted in the time and the writings of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel? Now, how's it highlighted in the Gospels? How's it highlighted in the epistles? So you're, you're moving thematically and chronologically across the pages of the Bible. That is enormously helpful. But when you ask a question like, okay, what does the Bible teach about sin? Well, then what you have to do is you have to do a quick summary of the topical issue of sin in the Bible. And when you do that, you're doing systematic theology. That helps you do good biblical theology, but it's different than doing biblical theology. So that's one reason why you want to be able to do systematic theology, because we all want to be able to answer those kinds of questions. Those are good questions. What is sin? What is man? What is the Christian life? Who is Jesus? Mm -hmm. What is the Holy Spirit? You know, on and on. All of the the answers to all of those questions require systematic theology. So is it safe to say that you can pretty much do systematic theology or biblical theology with almost any topic? Like you're just looking for, like you said, what the Bible says about what the whole Bible says about whatever topic it is. Well, to give you an example of how you might do those things differently, let's take the doctrine of sin. You know, you don't get the commandments given by God at Mount Sinai until Exodus chapter 20. Yeah. So if we believe with the Westminster Larger Catechism that sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God, that is, sin is breaking the law, which, by the way, comes out of a little word that John uses in 1 John. Sin is anomia. Sin is lawlessness. Mm -hmm. Okay, so is there sin before the giving of the Ten Commandments? Well, biblical theology, for instance, goes back to Genesis 1 to 11, and it says, even though the Ten Commandments have not been spelled out in the clarity that they've been given with in Exodus 20, boy, is there a very clear doctrine of sin from the stories that are told in Genesis 1 to 11. You first of all have uh, Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 breaking the word of the Lord. The Lord says, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the next chapter, Cain kills his brother Abel. In the next chapter, we have a man that hunts down human beings. He's a man hunter. In the next chapter, you have the earth is so evil that God destroys it with a flood. 
And that story is in Genesis 6 through 9. In Genesis 10, you have a group of people in the plain of Shinar that decide that they're going to build a building into the sky because nothing is impossible to them. So over and over, even though you don't have commands given in Exodus 20, you see examples in the stories of sin. Biblical theology is helpful in that way. But when somebody comes up to me and he says, Ligon, can you define sin for me? What I want to do is I want to pay attention to the different words that the Bible uses for sin. So I just mentioned John's word, anomia, lawlessness, but Paul will also use a word, hamartia. In fact, the technical systematic name for the study of the doctrine of sin is harmartiology, which is based on that Greek word that Paul uses. And the different words that are used have slightly different nuances. And out of that, you learn several things about sin. Sin involves breaking God's commands. Sin involves pride. Sin involves idolatry. Sin involves unbelief. Sin involves not realizing the purpose for which God created you. Now, those are five different ways to talk about sin. You won't pick all of those up in Genesis 1 through 11 doing a biblical theological survey. But if you do a big topical view of the total teaching of the Bible on sin, you will pick those things up, all of which will be really, really helpful to you in helping people fight sin in their lives. You'll, you'll be doing that study and people will say, wow, I really do get it. I may not bow to a golden idol like people did in the Old Testament, but boy, there are times that I worship money or reputation mm -hmm. or being loved. I need to be loved and, and, I, and I'll do anything to get that, even if it's not good for me, even if it's not according to God's word wow, I, I, I see how I'm an idolater in the way that I'm acting there. So idolatry is a category that I need to understand or unbelief or pride or you know, not being what God created you to be or breaking God's law. All of those are really important things for us to know and understand when we're, when we're trying to fight sin in our lives. And guess what? Systematic theology helps us there. So it's really knowing God's word helps you fight sin. Mm -hmm. And it also helps you know what God is like. So systematic theology there complements the, the things that you can learn in biblical theology about sin. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing, they're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. What are some helpful categories under the umbrella of systematic theology? Like we've been going through this category of sin that might be helpful for us to try and understand, obviously all of them. Uh, but if we're just kind of dipping our toe into yeah. systematic theology, what are some helpful categories? Normally, when you're looking at systematic theology written in the English language by Protestants, if I can make all of those qualifications, there will be sections of systematic theology called, sometimes called prolegomena, hmm. uh, which means the, the, the things that come before other words or studies. And those are things, and usually under prolegomena, you would study things like your doctrine of scripture, right? Because if you don't have an understanding of what the Bible is, how will you glean from the Bible other truth about God? And so a lot of systematic theologies will start there. How do you know God? Even though God is prior to how you know him, 
our order of experience is we have to know how to know God before we can know God. Mm-hmm. So God exists before our knowledge of God exists. And so there, it would be perfectly appropriate, for instance, for a systematic theology to begin with God. But a lot of times, especially in Protestant theology in the English-speaking world, we'll start with something like the doctrine of Scripture in order that we can wrestle with the question, how do you know God? Then from Scripture, normally the doctrine of God is the first thing that you study. By the way, inside the doctrine of God, you study the being of God, the existence of God, the attributes of God, God as Trinity. And then sometimes you go right to the study of God's creation and providence, those two overarching categories. Then usually there will be a section on the doctrine of man or humanity, where it looks at what is a human being. And then what, you know, what's a male human being and what's a female human being and how do they relate to one another? Usually along with the doctrine of man comes the doctrine of sin. Mm-hmm. Because after Genesis 3, every human being in the Bible but Jesus is a sinner. So you have to study man as man and then man as sinner. So oftentimes the doctrine of man and sin are side by side. And so the doctrine of God is often called theology proper. The doctrine of man is often called anthropology. The doctrine of sin is called harmartiology. Then there is very often a section in Protestant systematic theologies where you look at the covenants because the covenants are so important in explaining how God relates to his people, how you engage with God. Then there will usually be a section on salvation, the doctrine of salvation. How is it that human beings go from being sinners under the righteous condemnation of God to being children of God enfolded into his family under and by his grace. So the doctrine of soteriology or salvation will be studied. The doctrine of the Christian life often follows on that. Sometimes it's called ethics. Sometimes it's called other things. And then eschatology will also be studied. That is the doctrine of the last things or the end times. So each of these would be some of the categories that would be used in standard systematic theologies that you can study. There's, a, By the way, there's a very popular little uh, systematic theology that InterVarsity published a number of years ago by Bruce Milne called No the truth. Know the truth. In pretty simple language, he tries to cover the ground of basic systematic theology. Another really good, helpful volume like that is J.I. Packer's book, Concise Theology. Cool. In three-page chapters, he will give you a summary of about, I don't know, 60 or 70 wow. systematic theological doctrinal topics in Plain English. I mean, he's a wonderful, clear writer. Now, he packs a lot of stuff in, and there are a lot of scripture references that you'll want to study. But in terms of just simply explaining big theological concepts, nobody's better than Jim Packer. What does dinner time look like in your house? Is it a little chaotic and crazy like it is at mine? Let me tell you about Prep Dish and how they can help you simplify your evenings. You've probably heard us talk about prep dish in the past, and maybe you've thought, man, I just don't have time to meal prep. But let me tell you, with prep dish, meal prepping for the whole week honestly takes just about one hour with their super fast plan and about two hours for the gluten-free, paleo, and low-carb meal plans. If you need a change in how you handle dinner time at your house, you have got to try prep dish. You'll serve up delicious meals that your family will love, like green chili burgers, Caesar salmon wraps, and apricot glazed chicken thighs. Right now, the founder, Allison, is offering our listeners a free two-week trial to try it out. You can't beat that. Check out PrepDish.com forward slash journey for this great deal. Again, that's PrepDish.com forward slash journey for your first two weeks free. So how should we begin our study? Like what, not just practically, obviously you've given us some helps there, but like what should our heart's posture be as we begin? There is a famous statement by Stephen Charnock who wrote a massive volume on the existence and attributes of God. 
And he said, we cannot worship God as we ought until we know him as he is. Hmm. So one of the things that you want to do when you start to study theology is, why is it that I want to do this? Why, why, why do I want to study this? And you want to check your heart. If it's because you want to know God as he is so that mm-hmm. you can worship him as you ought, that's a good reason to study theology. If it's so that you can be smarter than other people and beat them in an argument, that's a bad reason mm-hmm. to study theology. We, you know, Really, what we want is truth to shape our hearts and lives so that our hearts are shaped by the same attitudes that were in Christ Jesus. We want to love the things that Jesus loves. We want to hate the things that Jesus hates. We want to desire the things that Jesus desires. We want to think the things are important that Jesus thinks are important. So if we go into our study of theology with this desire, Lord, I want my heart, the things that I desire most, the things that I care about most in life, I want those things to be shaped by you, by who you are, and by your word, rather than just what I happen to want. So if we go into our study of theology with the desire, I want my heart to be shaped by God's word. I want my worship to be shaped by God's word. I want to know the God who is. There's a a statement that I sort of borrowed from a book by Pat Morley a number of years ago that I slightly rephrased, but it goes like this. There is a God we want and the God who is, and the two are not the same. People are constantly trying to remake God in their own image. If we're studying theology in order to confirm our preconceived notions, bad reason. But if we're studying theology so that we make sure that we're conforming our thoughts to what the Bible says, that's a really good reason to study theology because that's where our comfort comes from from God and his word. And so if you want real comfort, you don't want your thoughts, you want the thoughts of God. You know, I love, I couldn't love more that you mentioned that your mom uh, had such an influential role in your interest in studying more about God and just in the conversations that really helped shape your own theology. When did you begin your own study of systematic theology and how did doing so just deepen your own personal understanding of who God is? You know, I I have to credit my mother and my pastors. And then because of my pastors, the Sunday school teachers and youth leaders in the church, you know, really early on, I was asking mother theological questions and and mother was a voracious reader. So, you know, I was asking her a question, mom, what does it mean to trust in Christ for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? What is faith, mom? And mom was reading people like Martin Lloyd-Jones. Mom had an edition of Martin Lloyd-Jones studies on the sermons uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, and her, her copy was falling apart. She had read it and studied it so much. And if you know anything about Martin Lloyd-Jones preaching, he was robustly theological in the way that he preached. He was always pulling together biblical ideas, even as he expounded a text. He once preached an entire sermon on the words, but now. Wow, And you you can't do that unless you're pulling together a lot of themes from the Bible. So he preached in a very theological way. And Mother was captivated by that preaching. And he also happened to be one of the favorite writers of my boyhood pastor. And so mm-hmm. Mother was, was, you know, being deeply edified by the sermons that she was hearing from uh, my pastor. She was studying on her own, reading books. And, you know, soon in my, you know, teen and even preteen years, I was starting to read theological books. Um, So I, you know, you're studying Knowing God right now. I happen to be studying that with my children right now on Sunday nights uh, via Zoom because they're at a distance. But I read Knowing God as a teenager was one of the books. I read books by uh, R.C. Sproul and J.I. Packer and Jim Boyce and Francis Schaeffer and others were the people that were capturing people's imagination for the bigness, the greatness, the holiness of God in the 1970s when I was a teenager. And so really, you know, in my teen years, I started reading books that would be along the lines of systematic theology. I'm not even sure I would have known if you would ask me then, hey, you're reading systematic theology. I would have said, I might have said, what, 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 what do you mean, Hunter? You know, but I, what I, I was reading systematic theology by, by reading them. Yeah. 
Wow, that's so cool. Well, I know everybody's encouraged um, to pursue deeper theological study after having heard you share. <laughs> I, I am. I'm fired up. I'm about to go get my systematic theology text off my <laughs> son's shelf because I don't have room for my bookshelf downstairs. What is one practical step? You've given so many already. So, you know, do you have another one that you'd like to throw out there for the listeners that do desire to pursue a study of systematic theology? Well, I, I would say constantly turn your study of theology into prayer and constantly sing it back to God. Mm. So I, w- I would say as you study theology, first of all, you know, let, let's say you come across a passage like may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your hearts until the coming of Christ Jesus. Pause right there. Lord, I want and I need that peace that passes understanding. Only you can give that. Guard my heart with that peace until the coming of Christ Jesus. Just refuse for things to be merely pedantic, to be merely things that you memorize or that you understand. Turn them back into prayer. So just make it a habit of praying theology back to God. By the way, Calvin has all of these wonderful prayers in his biblical expositions where he's just turning his exposition back to prayer. And so, and, and by the way, there are more good resources for that than ever before. Kenneth Boa has written lots of wonderful little books that take scripture and turn it back into prayer to God. Matthew Henry has written a little book that turns scripture back into prayer to God. I could go down a, a long list of people that have done that, but just turn your study of God into prayer back to him. I would also say, sing it back to him. And so, you know, in, in your study, start saying, now we're where do we sing about this doctrine in the great hymns of the faith or songs of our own time? You know, The Power of the Cross by the Gettys is a modern song, but man, is it rich theology. Great song worth memorizing, but so is great is thy faithfulness, or it is well with my soul, or if thou but suffer God to guide thee, or praise my soul, the King of heaven, or praise to the Lord, the Almighty or a mighty fortress is our God. And so start, you know, as, you, as you're working through the different doctrines of Scripture, ask yourself the question, what are the great hymns of the faith that actually sing about this truth? By the way, good hymnals will help you there. So if you have a Trinity hymnal, for instance, there's a topical index in the back, which is basically systematic theology. If you look at the index to the Trinity hymnal, it's laid out in the pattern of systematic theology. There's a subject index organized basically by systematic theology. So you could actually go back and find out, wow, my favorite hymn actually is a wonderful hymn about this awesome doctrine that I really, really care about. Boy, memorize that hymn and use it while you're studying. And uh, by the way, that'll help you teach it to other people, share it with other people, get it into your heart, help you really believe it. And then when, when, you know, when life falls apart, and it always does sooner or later, then those words that you've stored up in your heart that convey truth about God that comes from the Bible, they're there to help you. Mm-hmm. We had Johnny Erickson Tata on, and she said, I sing my way through suffering. And I've thought about that a lot this year. She's amazing at that point. And I, you know, one of the most powerful experiences I ever had in life this is another person from Yazoo City. Margaret, Margaret was a, a nurse and her son drowned. And uh, I was in the pediatric intensive care unit at Blair Batson Hospital in Jackson, Mississippi with Margaret as she held her son Uh. in her arm, two-year-old boy, as he took his last breaths. And and you could see the flat line on the machine. And Margaret looked up to me. I was standing there with her. And she said, Ligon, can we sing the doxology? Mm. And I've really, I I can hardly get it out of my mouth right now. I felt like I was on holy ground. I felt like I have no business being in a in a room with a woman this holy, this woman that knows her God so much that when she has lost her baby, mm-hmm. she can go to the Lord and say, the Lord is given, the Lord is taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And it was, I'll never forget that experience. And that's Margaret knowing her theology, knowing her God, and even wanting to sing the doxology in the worst time of life. Mm. Well, I am so deeply encouraged. In fact, I found another practical application for the rest of my day. I'm about to be like, kids, we're listening to Spotify. Turn it on, him. 
simple joy for me, uh, a way to continue my study in and through my day. So thank you for that. That's one of my simple joys. One of the questions I ask every guest who comes on Journey Women is really girly. And I'm sorry, but many men have answered it at this point. And we can't help but ask because we want to know, Ligon, what are your three simple joys, Dr. Uh, Duncan? Boy, I have the Lord has given me a lot of simple joys. Singing is definitely one of them. My my mother being a choir director, I had no no choice. I was going to sing, you know, so the, the time I was a baby, my mama was was making sure that I sang, and I've. That was the um, days when you had the choir too. It's true. That was, it's true. That and was I would so sing good. in the choir it. and and all of those things. So I I love singing, and um, and and that is one of the great. But I love to listen to people sing as well. Mm. One of one of my favorite things as a pastor was to watch my congregation as they sang. And I would learn so many things about them. You know, when we were singing "Praise to the Lord, the Almighty," and we got that line, "How oft in grief." hath not he brought thee relief, hmm. spreading his wings. I would always look into the eyes of my people as they sang that line. And I can remember looking out and I can see a woman right now and tears start running down her eyes. And I make a note, okay, I need to check on that sister. I don't know what's going on in her life, but she started hmm. crying right there. So I want to know what's going on. So yeah. I loved watching my people sing hymns, Hunter, and I love singing. So that's a, that's a simple joy of life. My dogs are a simple, I've got two lab mixes, nice. uh, Buddy and Lass. They're about 12 years old, so they're getting to be old dogs. Aww. And I, I just love being with my dogs. You know, I, I love the fact that God has given us creatures like that. So I love, I love my dogs. Reading is a simple joy. You know, just the how wonderful it is to be able to sit down and read a book. There's just nothing more relaxing than to, and not not to have to read a book professionally or not to have to read a book to get a sermon ready, but just to sit down and yes. read a book. And I love reading history and biography, and I just find that fascinating and informative. And so I love to do that. I could tell you a lot of other simple joys, but those are those are three simple joys. Well, someone actually made note for me to ask you, and I didn't I didn't know if I would have the courage to do it. They told me to ask you about one of your simple joys being potentially being rapping. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure that I'm a very good. I'm a very. They old did pull cool out some rapper. video footage. Yeah, yes. there is. There is video footage <laughs> of my old school rapping on the internet. The, the part of that story, Hunter, is I was a DJ in high school. I was. Oh the, no way! The, I was the station manager for my high school radio station, and That's I, I played music for a lot of high school dances and things like that. And so, when I was a kid, the first top forty rap song came out rapper's <laughs> delight and um and i because i was a dj i'm playing this music all the time i memorized the thing so i started memorizing old school rap and uh my brother my younger brother john who actually is a very good musician i'm an amateur but he's an amazing musician he you know he and and by the way he plays all kinds of styles he does r&b he does rock he does classical. He was trained on the cello and the piano, but he's picked up almost every instrument, pretty much like my son Jennings, who's also incredibly musical. I was not nearly as musical as John, but John liked it too. And so it was something we would do together. And that was a, that was a fun thing to do, fooling around. No doubt brought me some embarrassment from time to time, but uh, you know, that is something I did as a kid. I think that's a perfect, simple joy, Dr. Duncan. <laughs> oh, well, another question that I ask every guest who comes on, you know, the Journey Women podcast was born out of, I told you, just really having a host of mentors in my own life that had really influenced my walk with the Lord. So I began to ask this question to every guest who's come on the show. Who is it that's had the greatest impact on your own personal relationship with the Lord? That's a hard question to ask because the Lord puts people in your life at different stages. He does. Um, and I, you know, and, and as I was telling you earlier in my own testimony, it, it'd be hard to outweigh the influence of my mother hmm. on my life and my dad in a very different way. Dad, you know, dad was a simple man. He was not a theological thinker. If my, if my dad ever spoke in front of the church, you could bet that my mother had written it. And he, he was up there reading it, you know, uh, but dad was a, a godly man and he could, you could sit down with him with a Coke and a pack of peanuts and he would, he would teach you stuff about life that you couldn't learn in 15 books that you read. So, I've, you know, the Lord is, has put people like that in my life, my whole life. And really starting as a young person, a string of godly men in 
uh, my life that mentored me. So I not only had a great relationship with my human, my earthly, my family father, but I had godly men. Dupree Rame was the choir director at our church for a while, an incredibly godly man that took interest mm. in me. My pastors took interest in me. My youth director took interest in me. Uh, the president of the seminary where I studied really took interest in me. So God has put a lot of men in my life that have had a huge impact. But really, it's all of the people of God. I, I have um, Peter Brown in his biography of Augustine has a chapter on Augustine's life called Friends. Hmm. And it starts with this phrase, Augustine will always have friends. And he just, he tells the story, the the woven friendships of Augustine's life. When I read that chapter, I always think, Lord, you have given me so many good friends. And I, I think, for instance, of Mark Dever. I met Mark in Cambridge, England in 1987. I was studying at uh, the University of Edinburgh. Mark was studying at Cambridge. And a mutual friend of ours said to me, look, you've really got to meet Mark. He is the Southern Baptist you. And uh, the first time Mark and I ever talked, we talked for three hours. Wow. I just, I loved Mark immediately. And God has put people like that in my life, my whole life, Hunter. All of them have had a profound influence on me. So it's really hard to narrow that down just to one person because the churches and the seminary and the friendships that I've had have all fed into my life. Well, bless the Lord. I just feel like we have just been a recipient of just the work that the Lord's done in you, just trickling down to us today in and through this podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to join us on the Journey Women podcast today. It's really been a joy. Well, it's been a joy to be with you. Thank you for doing this. And I hope that the people who you're serving are blessed. We pray this conversation with Dr. Duncan gets you fired up about pursuing deeper theological study. If you need additional help doing that, be sure to check out Dr. Duncan's recommendations included in the show notes over on our website at journeywomenpodcast.com. You can also join me in taking a few of Dr. Duncan's classes totally for free via the Reformed Theological Seminary app. If you do, be sure to let us know via social media over at journeywomenpodcast on Instagram or Facebook. Again, if you're enjoying this series, please do take a few minutes to leave a rating and review on iTunes. It really does help get journey women into the hands of other women on their journeys to glorify God. Today's episode was mixed and produced by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On, Sound Off. We are so grateful for them and for you. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.